Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb, joined here by my wonderful co-host, Jeff Bears. Jeff, how you doing? Doing great. Um, happy Wednesday when we're recording this. Yes, we're actually recording this on Inauguration Day, um, so that's happy Inauguration Day. And we yeah. want to remind everybody real fast, too, that all of our shows are brought to you by Suspense Magazine, so visit suspensemagazine.com. And don't forget to check out our anthology, Nothing Good Happens After Midnight, with Jeffrey Deaver and Linwood Barkley and Reese Bowen and Heather Graham, John Lasquois, and many others. Uh, Nothing Good Happens After Midnight. Check out that. We are going to be joined tonight by international best-selling author of his Orphan X series, Greg Horowitz. He's going to be talking about Prodigal Son, which is book six now in the, um, in the series. So that's going to be really cool to get Greg on here in a second. Oh, yeah, and no, I'm a huge fan and uh, looking forward to talking about Prodigal Son. Yeah, it's going to be good. He's got a lot of good stuff going in on this one. So without any further ado. He's got a lot to answer for. I'm just saying. Well, He's got a lot okay, to answer for. Okay, well, so let's, so let's see what he wants to answer. So, Greg, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. It's good to talk to both of you. Yes, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome back. And we are now in book six of the Orphan X series. And a couple years ago, our magazine listed um, – uh, one of the books in the Orphan X series as the Crimson Scribe Award winner. So we know the series is excellent. Um, so y- you've been that's able to quite do an honor. Yeah, yeah, you've been able to do something here that's really, really incredible. Um, love, love the Evan character. Evan Smoke, really great character. And now we're into book six, and you got Prodigal Son coming up. So tell everybody a little bit about what you got going on, please. Well, I mean, those familiar with the series know that Evan was pulled out of a foster home at the age of 12 and trained off the books to be a government assassin. And the key for me was to really have a strong focus on character and the fact that the handler who pulled him out um, actually loved him. So I didn't want to do it where it was all just dark and dreary and torturesome. Um, I wanted to be that the, the, the guy who pulls him out really puts him in the world in a different way and cares about him a lot and gives him a lot of conflicting messages. On the one hand, he's trained to be a killer. On the other hand, Jack Johns, who's his father figure and his handler, wants him to remain human. And so he's raised with this really deep sense of of morality, a deep ethic, a deep code, which of course is on a collision course with what he does. So by the time that we meet him uh, in the opening of the series, he's left the program, he's off the radar, and essentially, he's become an assassin, a pro bono assassin. He's got an encrypted line, and when people are in some sort of a desperate situation, when they're up against a horrific bully or tyrant or abuser, they can call his number, one eight five five to nowhere, which you can call and see what happens if you call that number in the U.S., and he's on the other end of the line. And so, you know, for a lot of adventures so far, I've had, you know, a good readership following following me and him along on these adventures at the end of the last book that phone rings and rather than it being somebody in desperate need uh out in the world and rather than it being a threat from his past or from the government it's a woman who says evan it's your mother and he never knew who his mother was he never even thought he Mm -hmm. had a mother out there and so he doesn't know if this woman's lying is a lure or to draw him in and so Prodigal Son is the story of, you know, I, I, that's sort of the cliffhanger of the last book, and Prodigal Son is where I turn the page and start that new story. Love it. One of the things I love about this series, and I don't know how you do it, so you've got to answer how you do it, how do you make each book better than the previous? Is it because at this point we're so much in love with the character, or is it you've got so much um, 
depth as you go along that you just you can make it better. How do you do this? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm I'm growing into the series. You know, it's a weird it's a weird relationship between me and Evan. I mean, I was I was writing about him in ways that I was dealing with things that I wasn't even aware of. I think when I started that first that first book in the series. And then I've kind of caught up to what it is that I think I'm kind of tackling. And so he and I have kind of pulled shoulder to shoulder. And so and sometimes he's kind of ahead of me and sometimes I'm ahead of him. But I think the biggest thing is when you really know a character and you know the world and you're trying to embody it and you're trying to give everybody a real point of view and a real perspective with a cast of characters who see and reflect back on him, what we all fall in love with it's always character. I mean, if you ask an average person their favorite, you know, James Bond action sequence from the books or from the movies, nothing necessarily springs to mind right away, but everybody knows how he takes his martini. It's the, it's the character nuance and touches that are always so essential in a thriller. And I think the more I've gotten to know Evan and the readers have gotten to know Evan, the more at home they feel with him and with his code and with his peculiarities and shortcomings and flaws. Very nice. The one thing that I love about Evan is because when I was younger, one of my favorite TV shows was The Equalizer. Um, and I loved that show. And I don't know if you're familiar with that show. Did you, used to, did you watch it? You know, I was back, not allowed to watch television growing up uh, when I was a kid, oh. so I'm very behind on TV <laughs> matters. Though I did see and love the Denzel Washington movies. Right. I haven't actually seen the television show. But I do know that he, he similarly is someone who's positioned, you know, to help people who are in a terrible situation, that there's that right. security. And, and so and what that is is that, that that character to me, I always loved that kind of – and it was more like a, like a modern-day Robin Hood, except he wasn't robbing anybody to give to anything. He was more giving something back to something – somebody that was taken from them but it wasn't necessarily money in anything it could have been anything some kind of an emotion so when with jeff's point about you know making the books better as the series goes along when evan has to come up with another kind of wall that he's facing again is that one of the things that is 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 harder to write as you as you go along though is to get that wall bigger and badder from the last one you know, in some ways, I would say yes. I mean, I think the bigger thing is trying to figure out how I have a plot in the external world that matches something that's internal to him. So that, you know, because in a weird way, like with Prodigal Son, you know, so, so basically the phone rings, and it's a woman claiming to be his mother. And as he starts to embark on that, on that adventure, what happens is it pulls him into a different emotional state that he's never encountered. He never knew what it he, – he, he's only felt – he hasn't contemplated face-to-face the thought of being unwanted. He hasn't contemplated face-to-face the thought that somebody could be disappointed in him or how he turned out. This is a whole new set of emotions for someone who's been a lone wolf. And that, that part of it draws him back into himself and into his past. The story drives him backwards in time. Um, and it's the first time we go into the foster home that we actually see inside the foster home where he grew up. And he's got a lot of survivor's guilt because most of the kids from there are dead or in jail Right, um, or overdosed on drugs. And he's got also like a sense of almost disgust, like he's got shame around it. So he's got something that's distancing himself from the past. But at the same time, as we're going backwards into his past, into himself, 
I wanted to have a plot that escalates and gets bigger and bigger in terms of the intrigue that he's dealing with. And so he starts to take on this mission, and the answers lie within himself and in his past, but the present-day action starts to creep its way up till the, to the sort of highest, uh, the highest levels of power in the government and some, some new technologies that overlap with the military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And so it's a plot that's kind of pulling both directions at the same time. And for me, I'm always trying to, do, I'm always trying to find that balance of mm-hmm. a kind of big, exciting, muscular thriller that also has all this resonance that's psychological and emotional. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, one of the things I want to mention to you both real quick since you brought up the Equalizer is it's coming back on CBS starting Yeah, this Queen, month. Latifah. Queen Latifah. Queen Latifah. Queen uh, Latifah. Yeah, should be that. interesting. Yeah, interesting there. Um, wow. Let's talk, about, let's talk about Evan and relationships for a moment. Since, okay. um, he is, since he's got such a role that he plays, can he really have a normal life outside of that? You know, I think and it's more it, than... You know why I'm asking this. <laughs> no, tell me why you're asking this. Well, you, you know I want him to hook up with the, the woman in, her, in, in his building and her kid. Yes. Well, that's, that's been your desire for some time now. I do understand. Yes, it has. Um, yes. Exactly. Look, I think the thing is, I mean, one of the ways I describe Evan is he's, he was taken out of the world. He was pulled right off the table. And so when he became... Orphan X, when he started that training at the age of 12, he didn't operate till he was older, you know, till he was in his late teens. But the training process just kind of removed him from the world completely. And so part of what that did was it meant that he's never had a sort of ordinary set of emotional exchanges, and he's constantly, his identity, I mean, he's wanted for what would be considered war crimes across the world. The U.S. government wants him dead because the secrets in his head are too dangerous for his head to remain attached to his shoulders if they could ever find him. And so he can never have the kind of a, a normal life. He can never have an ordinary existence. And one of the things that I did with him is I put him in the real world where you and I live. Because the mm-hmm. one thing that we don't always get to see is Jason Bourne go home, right? Or and so Evan right. lives, you know, among ordinary people. He's got a penthouse along the Wilshire corridor. He has a cover identity there. He interacts with people. He gets dragged into HOA meetings and he's terribly uncomfortable when it deals with the you know, quotidian aspects of everyday life, even though he's perfectly comfortable infiltrating like a cartel compound, let's say. So it's really, there's this sort of amusement toggle that goes back and forth between him using his sort of operational sensibilities in the real world and often failing at it versus being pretty collected and calm under pressure when it's real pressure. But it means that he's always sort of got his face up to the glass. He's always on the outside looking in. And so I feel like he can see these people in horrible circumstances and maybe work to, to get back for them the kind of ordinary life that he can never have for himself. That's the one thing he can do, and that's his, that's his movement towards normalcy. Okay. Very nice. So quick question here then. Now that you're in the book six, is this kind of how you saw the series going from the beginning, or what surprises has, have, have you encountered just to yourself as an author during the way? Huh. Well, so here's an interesting thing. When we first sold this, I went out with my, with my agent. I kind of talked about it. I, I stayed with my same editor 
who's a wonderful editor by the name of Keith Kayla. Um, but I wrote the book on spec, and I was trying to kind of – I just wanted to make sure that everyone knew. I'd come off a whole string of kind of Hitchcockian standalone thrillers um, from the crime writer through the survivor and don't look back, and there's a whole series of those. And I just wanted to make sure everyone was on the same page. And so when I was talking about it when we sold it, I said, you know, look, somewhere down the line, I don't know, you know, not book three or four, but after that at some point, that phone's going to ring, and Evan's going to answer, and it's going to be his mother. It was the funniest thing because both my editor and my agent like lit up about that. Like, wow, if the, if, <laughs> you know, you'll keep building the world. It's going to get to that place. So I had these templates. I didn't know the story. I think I've had a, a whole series of I – ha, I had like a very rough shape, almost like a, a shadowy silhouette of, of, mm-hmm. the, of the shape of the mountain that he was going to climb. But the surprises always come in the specifics and the writing and all the intricacies and the character texture and the moments. And, you know, of course, I do, I do, I love doing um, research. And so when I dig into research, I always find new corners to write myself into and get stuck and challenges for him. And I discover a lot more about him and the other characters as I go. There's a character who's very um, prominently featured in the last three books named Joey Morales, Josephine Morales, who's a 16 year old hacker. And she, I first introduced in Hellbent. And to give you an example, she was, she was a character, I had that all sketched out of my head, and Joey was supposed to die at the end of Hellbent. And if you go back and, and look at Hellbent, you can, see the, the, you can see right there at the end, you know, the place where I had it. But in the process of writing that book, I so fell in love with her and her voice and her humor, and most importantly, the humanity that she brings out in Evan as a foil to him and her own vibrancy and the way that she talks and thinks. And I just realized I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And so that's an example of something where I kind of had in my head a notion of this plot that was going to you know, bring all these things out in Evan and then end tragically where I realized, no, she's an essential part of this world and I need to keep her there. She's just too much, she's too much fun and brings too much texture to it. I would never have forgiven you if you've done that. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I think my editor would have had some stern words for me as well. Um, so I have to ask, um, is there another Orphan next book coming? Because you end this book on such a cliffhanger, I never want to talk to you again, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well... Um, there will be another Orphan X book. I think how the cliffhanger okay, gets resolved, you know, we're not going to know until January of 2021. But um, there is another book coming. You can rest assured of that. But, you know, I always like to resolve the, the current plot and shape of things. I always feel like every book needs to have its own satisfactory ending. But I like to flip a card over at the end, and this one has a bit of an explosive cliffhanger. So we'll see what people think of it. <laughs> it was so cool. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, you know, Greg, when, when you're not writing, I, I, you know, are you binge watching anything right now? Or are you, uh, you know, any movies, any documentaries, uh, any anything, anything like that that you've been, you know, checking out? I got completely obsessed with Queen's Gambit. Um, oh Frank yeah, love that favorite, show. Love favorite. it. Yeah, it's wonderful. He's one of my favorite um, screenwriters. I think he's a brilliant uh, adapter when he adapts work. He's adapted Elmer Leonard and Lawrence Block. Um, And The Queen's Gambit, I mean, I just thought it was spectacular. And it's it's only the second book that I've ever 
seen the movie or TV show of and immediately went back and read the novel, which I hadn't read. The first one was A Winter's Bone by Daniel Woodrell. Um, I just had to see how it was. And the Tevis novel for The Queen's Gambit is just spectacular. And the job that Scott Frank did bringing that to life, and, and it feels like everything in the miniseries is in the book, even if it's not in the book. It's the most seamless adaptation I think I've ever... And I'm not even a chess player, and I went back... I was looking up chess players. I just compl- I fell head over heels into that world, and so that it. was that's the most exciting thing. And then you know, um, I'm watching uh, Money Heist. Uh, it's a Spanish show um, that's that's just terrific. On what is on that on? Netflix. What platform? Netflix. Okay. It's called Money Heist. Cool. It's in Spanish. The director I'm working with on a project uh, of mine, so I started to watch it. Uh, and it's really, really interesting. And then the other show, just so we can get rangy here, yeah. is I just finished The, the Crown. Um, and oh, okay. I know haven't got into that one yet. The Crown is, is you know, Peter Morgan uh, writes... Helen, Helen Mirren, right? No, it's not Helen, no. Helen Mirren. It's, it's um, Maggie uh, Olivia Coleman is, is the current... Uh, is the current yeah. season? Uh, it, it's kind of rangier, but there, it's it's just it's amazing. It's just an amazing the the level of kind of dialogue and intrigue and plotting and suspense and character work, and it. it's just incredible to me. So, my wife so I'd say those are my that. big three right now that I've been mired in. Nice, happily mired in. <laughs> well, I have to say, Walter Tevis is one of my favorite writers. He did the uh, Hustler and the Color of Money. He did oh, yeah. uh, a wonderful. He did a wonderful book the called Mockingbird, which I understand. Uh, Man of Fell to Earth, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, they're going to do Mockingbird now, which was my personal favorite of his. So, yeah, he's he's terrific and uh, Queen's Gambit, absolutely awesome. Um, since we're talking TV and we're talking film and a side thing, what's the latest with Hollywood with you? Well, I am adapting Orphan X for TV right now. It's actually what I was doing just uh, just today. That's that's the kind of business that's at the forefront. And you know, initially I adapted it uh, for features, um, and I I was working on that front. I had a I had a terrific actor attached. I lost him to a big project, and then we were kind of looking at it. And I decided that what I wanted to do is get it in a format where each bo- each book has the potential to form the spine of a season. Um, of kind of a 10-episode season. And so that's now, do you have a platform already ready to produce it, or are you, just, are you writing the screenplay to get it to be, try to get sold? Well, we, I have a studio, and we're, okay. you know, we've kind of built, we've built a package, and so that's what we're in the process of right now. Okay. But, no, I'm writing it with a studio at this point. Um, and, you know, so it, it's, it's, a very, it's a very tricky business to figure out how to push it into a visual medium, you know, because there's, right, there's right. so much, right? So it's a... There's a risk of overstuffing it, so I'm I'm really t- fiddling with the knobs a lot right now. But it's a good process, and you know I have a really good team around me, and we'll see we'll see how if we can move the football forward. Nice. Oh, fingers crossed! I'd love to yeah. see him. That'd be cool. And now, the uh, best place for everyone, of course, to find out all your information, just like updates, like you're you know could be giving them on on your TV show here, is just GregHorwitz.net, right? GregHerwitz.net. I'm also on Twitter. Uh, under okay. The, uh, Is that the platform you use the most, social media-wise? Probably. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm on all three. Okay. Yeah, you can find me in any of those places. 
And you so they go to your website, and of course, all the links to your social media will be on there. So, and um, everything's on there. That's right. And we, you know, we'll be announcing. You know, I have a whole series of virtual book events. You know, I have yep. one um, on publication night is going to be with okay. Diesel Bookstore. It's a terrific independent bookstore out here. I'm gonna we'll do a little bit of a tutorial on how to shake a martini at the front end because <laughs> you haven't smoked like to drink the world's finest vodkas, and I have quite a good collection of the world's finest vodkas myself now because. You know, if I write about them, I get a lot of um, I get a lot of generous distilleries sending me their product to sample. So it's the least painful part. Very of Very nice, nice little perk there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now and uh, now, as far as your newsletter, how often do you send that out? Uh, you know, not. I don't like to clog people's inboxes. You know, too mm-hmm. much. So it's not like we're 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 at it all the time. But you know, there's there's some good information in it. I you know, if people sign up for it, I do. I I have some pictures. I talk a, bit, a little bit about the research that I've that I've dug into for the character. I've done a lot of kind of crazy, uh, um, you know, really fun stuff that's nose down, you know, in into the actual research in the field in the world, which is always mm-hmm. lovely to think back to now that we're stuck in a pandemic. True. Um, I, you know, we send out a list of Evans, you know, his vodka choices. And then, you know, as we, near, as we near book publication, I tend to put out, you know, that's the newsletters where people can get the first excerpt. I push it out to my newsletter followers um, and, you know, my tour schedule. All those things come kind of first and, and earliest there. And you can sign up for that also at greghurwitz.net. Nice. So the book, you, everybody, you have a title for the next book? Oh, what? I was going to ask if you had a title for the next book. Oh. Um, I have a title I'm playing with, but I don't. I don't. I'm not ready nothing, to hear. No, nothing concrete yet, huh? Okay, gotcha. All right. <laughs> well, this latest book is called Prodigal Son, book six in the series. It's going to be out uh, January the 26th in any format you want. So you'll be able to get that on the 26th, or you can pre-order it now. So, Greg, of course, as always, want to thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Not, wish you nothing but the best. So stay safe and stay safe, uh, healthy. Thank you, gentlemen. I always enjoy talking to you, too. So it's a great pleasure. Thank you.